don't we clap our hands and say amen for this great choir. What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord on another Sunday morning. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Eternal God, we thank you for the gift of this day that you have made. We are rejoicing and we are glad to be in your house once again. You did not have to let us live, but you let us live and you let us gather once again in the service of the Lord one more time. Those who are here on campus in the lovely sanctuary of this fine church and to those who gather in the virtual sanctuary of this fine church, we give you thanks. And now as we prepare our hearts for your word, we confess that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway in these very, very dark times. So we pray that you would anoint this preacher to speak your word and that you will anoint the ears of this waiting congregation to receive your word, to save, to heal, to encourage, uh, to be a blessing in the lives of these, your people. We give you praise and we give you glory and we give you the honor that you alone deserve. It's in Jesus' name, the people of God. Say amen. Amen. I, I know you all uh, know how to interact uh, with call and response preaching from Pentecost Sunday. Uh, so if there were any question as to whether or not you all have it in you, Kenilworth, I know you do. And I am delighted to be back with you for what seems to be uh, something of an annual visit. Uh, it is truly a joy to be with you, to serve you all this Sunday morning. I'm grateful for your senior minister, my friend and brother, the Reverend Dr. Bill Evertsburg, and to my friend, our liturgist, and your senior associate minister, Reverend Dr. Katie Snipes Lancaster. We thank God for her and for all of you, uh, the precious people of God. As we heard from the choir in this hymn to freedom this weekend, we mark uh, the holiday of Juneteenth, uh, which is a complicated day uh, on which we acknowledge and commemorate the complicated legacy of slavery in America and freedom that was deferred, delayed, and denied uh, for far too long uh, to people uh, who are my ancestors. And we recognize at the same time uh, that today we celebrate Father's Day. And we certainly wish a very happy Father's Day to all the fathers, uh, those of you who are here in the sanctuary and those who are worshiping with us in the virtual sanctuary. Uh, both Juneteenth and Father's Day are complicated holidays because for Father's Day, many of us uh, are mourning the loss of fathers uh, who we dearly, dearly miss. Others are lamenting all the to do about fathers who may have been absent or abusive or what have you, or uh, for men who are unable to uh, bear biological children of their own. It just becomes a very challenging and complicated day. But I know, having been in church long enough, that we definitely celebrate Mother's Day. Um, and while Mother's Day may be similarly complicated, we celebrate Mother's Day with great vigor. And so today, uh, while uh, it has been appointed to me to serve from this station, uh, I want to salute each and every 
Father and would invite the congregation to join me in giving God thanks uh, for our fathers. Yes, we, we must give honor where honor is due. And while neither Juneteenth nor Father's Day are liturgical holidays, uh, they are not on the liturgical calendar. Uh, we are admonished by the theologians of yesteryear uh, to minister holding a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And so we are truly grateful to the Lord for all that God has done as we draw our attention to the word of the Lord this morning in the book of Joshua chapter number four. I will read in your hearing from verses 20 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken from the Jordan. Let me say that one more time. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken from the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your children ask their fathers, What is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. And this is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is strong and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. For the time that we have to share together in this sermonic conversation, I've been led to preach from the subject, the God of the next generation. The God of the next generation. As we gather on this Father's Day Sunday, uh, I am reflecting on my own very first Father's Day. Um, my beloved son, Nolan, uh, whose father I am, um, on that very first Father's Day when uh, his mother, my wife, uh, orchestrated all of his commemorations because he was incapable of orchestrating such on his own. He, he put into my mind what it really meant to be a dad. And having a child put into perspective what life was really all about for me. This does not mean that if you don't have biological children that life is not Meaningful. All I'm saying is, for me, it clicked on my first Father's Day. All the work that I had been doing, all of the revenue I had been working to generate for our family's bottom line, I recognized that none of it meant anything outside of the fact that I had this son. Because my son was actually the owner of all of it. Now, recognize things are still held in my wife and my name. However, it became very clear that we're just holding it all in trust for him until he grows up. 
because no matter how much we are able to amass in this life, uh, you do not take it to the grave with you. Um, even the wealthiest people, when uh, the Lord calls them from labor to reward, don't get to take a U-Haul truck with all of their precious possessions with them to the pearly gates. Everything you have gets left. I, I remember uh, my pastor, Bishop Arthur Brazier, telling a story of a funeral that he'd conducted, and someone uh, asked him before the funeral procession made its way to the cemetery, how much did they leave? And he replied, they left all of it. They leave all of it. And I recognize that everything that we had that God gave to us, really, we were holding in trust for him. And so we had as our responsibility not just to get more stuff, but to raise a child who was prepared to steward that which he was being left to the glory of God and for the good of humanity. It reminds me of what I believe is an indigenous proverb that says we don't so much inherit the earth from our ancestors as much as we borrow it from our children. In other words, it really changes the frame of reference that we have for the present moment, that it is not simply by the largesse and kindness and forethought of our ancestors that we gather in beautiful sanctuaries like this or have access to the opportunities and various means that we have access to. It is really that everything we have, we have borrowed from the next generation, the environment itself. We are stewarding for the next generation. The culture and soul of this country that seems ever divided by red states and blue states, black, white, and brown, we are actually borrowing it from the next generation. And the question becomes, what will we leave them? And when they speak of us, what will our legacy be? We all have a desired legacy, but... There's often an unintended legacy that we leave as well, and it will not be ours to write. It will be our children and our children's children who will write the story what they were left by us. It's not just dollars and cents, friends. It's not just houses and lands and vacation homes. It's not just beautiful sanctuaries and traditions that we leave behind. It's also a legacy of faith. And while we live in a culture that tells us that we should just let our kids pick their own adventure and that uh, being too prescriptive and too focused on imprinting them with our faith is somehow a dereliction of duty on our part, the Bible actually says otherwise. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter number 6, God tells the children of Israel, write my commandments on your hearts. And impress it upon your children. In other words, God is saying, I don't just want you to have a legacy of stuff you leave behind. I want you to have a legacy of faith. And if you choose to let your kids grow up as though God isn't real, that's on you. But the reality is whether or not you tell them, somebody will tell them something. They can either be discipled by you or by YouTube. It's your choice. 
but they will be discipled by somebody. And that same truth that we have the responsibility and the privilege to influence our children and our children's children and our children's children's children comes to the forefront in the text that I read this morning from the book of Joshua chapter number four. In the book of Joshua chapter number four we find the children of Israel having just crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. This land that had been promised to them for generations that had been delayed and seemingly denied but was finally theirs. They're crossing in to the promised land free from Egyptian slavery, free from the bondage and oppression uh, of their cruel taskmasters. They cross in to the promised land but they didn't make it by themselves. They made it by the miraculous intervention of God. I need, I need to just pause here and say to someone who's looking back over your life and you look at the promises that you have enjoyed and the blessings that you have benefited from, I believe it's worth pausing here to just acknowledge that every promise we've received, God has made possible. It's God who's been at work. It's God who's been working behind the scenes, God who's been working in front of the scenes to make every good and perfect gift possible. It's God. And so we see here that they cross the Jordan River and God makes it possible. Why exactly does God make it possible? Many of us are saying we just cross the river, what's the big deal? But they crossed the Jordan River at flood stage and they crossed it on dry ground miraculous it's miraculous and here we find as they cross the Jordan River at flood stage with the waters literally held back and they cross on dry ground Joshua commands the men of Israel to pick up 12 stones out of the bed of the river and these 12 stones would be evidence that God miraculously brought them over on dry ground. How many of you all have had God do something special in your life? How many of you have evidence of what God did? Now, Some of you all did not raise your hands again because you know in your soul God did it. Maybe your doctor even knows that God did it. But there's no evidence. And in this show and tell society where we don't believe any of what we hear and only half of what we see, a story with no evidence people make into a fairy tale. And so to prevent the children of this generation of the children of Israel to think that crossing the Jordan River miraculously on dry ground was just a fairy tale, Joshua told them, Get these 12 stones because while the story itself may not make sense, these 12 stones can't be denied. In other words, I think some of them might have been from Missouri, the show me state. They, they were in a position where they would not believe what they heard, but they could not deny what they'd seen. And so Joshua says, get these stones, make a memorial 
so that when your children ask their fathers, what do these stones mean, you'll be able to tell them something. When your kids go play by the stones and poke around curiously at the stones, and they say, what is this for? What are these stones about? You'll be able to tell them that the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you'd crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. See, those of us who've been to Sunday school may recognize that the story of God here is not just in the here and now, it's in yesteryear too. What Joshua is saying is that what God did for us at the Jordan River is a very similar story to what God did a generation ago before 40 years of marching around the wilderness when we were escaping Pharaoh and Egyptian slavery, the Lord separated the waters of the Red Sea and we crossed over on dry land. I should probably pause here and suggest to someone who's finding yourself in front of a Jordan River that seems uncrossable that the same God who did it yesterday is able to do it again. That's good news. That the God who had power then has power now. That the God of yesterday is the God of today. And he's still able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. God has still the same ability to heal, to deliver, to save, to strengthen, to encourage, to lift up bowed down heads. God has the same ability to do things that seem impossible. And so Joshua says, these stones are a reminder that the God of today is the same God of yesterday. That the God of yesterday had power, and the God of today, who was the same God of yesterday, has power. Now, let's not get it twisted. We're not worshiping the stones. We're not worshiping the memorial. We're not worshiping the reminder of what God did. We're not worshiping the shell of what God did. We're not worshiping the way we do church, the way we worship, the way we remember what God did. We're not worshiping the liturgy. We're not worshiping the vestments. We're not worshiping the container. We're not worshiping the 10 o'clock start time. We're not worshiping the way we remember what God did. We're worshiping the God who did what God did. We're not going to worship our traditions. We're not going to worship our ways of remembering God. We're not going to worship the King James Version of the Holy Bible. We are worshiping God. Is there anybody here who came to worship God? Yeah. It's God who we worship. And it's the God who we commend to our children. We don't just let our children choose their own adventure. We tell them about a God who saves. We tell them about a God who heals. We tell them about a God who sets free. We tell them about a God who sent his son Jesus 
to die at Calvary and raised him up on the third day with all power in his hand so that we could be free from the power of sin and death and be free to serve the Lord and to serve humanity. We tell them the story of the God who we worship. And while we can't necessarily pause this worship service to do what in my tradition they call praise and testimony service where everyone gets the microphone and gets to say I thank and praise the Lord for what God did for me last week. God saved my life in a car accident. God spared my son from a, a stray bullet. God saved my wife from a terrible situation and the microphone just passes around the sanctuary. And some people uh, take two minutes and some people take 15 minutes and, and, and the pastor's trying to get control of the service back and they're saying, two minutes please. And you know, If you're going to sing, don't testify. And if you're going to testify, don't sing. It's got to be one or the other. I want to open up a little bit of praise and testimony service as I get ready to go to my seat and I wonder if there's anybody here who can let your praise testify that the God who has carried you through is still on the throne. Let your praise testify to the next generation that God is still worthy of praise, that God is still worthy of their trust, that God is still worthy of their worship, that they should not waste their worship on false idols of YouTube stardom and Facebook badges and TikTok sensations, but that they should worship the God of the universe, the creator of the ends of the earth, the God who gives power, the God who dries tear-stained eyes, the God who gives beauty for ashes and a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, a God who gives power to the faint and to those who have no might, he increases strength. A God who loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you believe in and love that God, I'd invite you to clap your hands and let your praise testify. Let your praise testify. Tell the Lord how grateful you are with your praise. And let your praise go on record that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, how grateful we are for your goodness and for your kindness. Even on difficult days, you're still good and your mercy endures forever. God, we're grateful for your track record of faithfulness and consistency down through the years. You're a trustworthy God. And while we don't worship the way we remember you, we don't worship the way that we worship you. We worship you. And we pray that you will grant us grace as we Share the story of your deeds with our children and our children's children. That you will establish a faith in them that cannot be shaken. That they will have not just the faith of their fathers, but that they'll have their own encounter with you. That they will not just hear about and read about the God of miracles, but that they will be arrested in their spirit by an encounter with a God 
who loves them so much, who gave so much, simply so they can have a right to the tree of life. Introduce yourself to our children. Introduce yourself to us as we introduce you to the world so that the world will know that the Lord's hand is strong and so that you will always be worshipped. You are worthy of glory. You are worthy of honor. And we bless you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. People of God say amen.